Armed with all the evidence and knowledge that lovely Imonica had gathered, they set out to prove what they knew to be true and to get justice for Praveen's murder. Without the help of the Carbondale police or the state's attorney or anyone else who had the power to investigate and press charges in this case, lovely Imonica knew they had to take care of it themselves. I will never forget, he said, you thought you had a mortal son? But he was not the mortal son you thought you had. He was involved in many illegal activities. But then I'm thinking, my God, what do they have? We can speculate a lot of things. We can assume a lot of things. But the body of the deceased does not lie. Every single action Gage Bethune did was justified in that. So if you read that, it will look like Gage's lawyer wrote that. If there was one sentence in there that said Praveen's toxicology was negative, I would have been satisfied. You're listening to Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. The Carbondale Police Chief, Jody O'Gwyn, had deemed Praveen's death accidental from day one. You can hear him speak at the press conference that was held on the very day Praveen was found, before any investigation was done. The difficult terrain and low temperatures are believed to have contributed to Praveen's difficulty finding his way out of the wooded area. No foul play is suspected at this time. He wasn't injured physically. There were no obvious signs of trauma. And the medical examiner who conducted the first autopsy simply reiterated what was said at this press conference. Why would he further this narrative rather than conduct an accurate autopsy? It didn't make any sense. The state's attorney, Michael Carr, has been a resident of Carbondale for over 40 years, and he also attended SIU, according to his own Twitter bio. Lovely reached out to Michael Carr in hopes that he would lead the charge in this investigation. But shockingly, he had no interest in a just and thorough investigation. Instead, Lovely was met with hostility and disdain. I talked to the, um, the state's attorney, Michael Carr, who was, I don't know what his agenda was. He didn't like me from the beginning. So every, I called him and I talked to him. He was blaming Praveen for everything. And every, and I, he was just based on Praveen's one tweet. He was like, I have many proof that Praveen was drunk. And I said, you know, please don't make a decision based on one day, Praveen did not know he was going to die that night. You know, this is him. If you know him, this is how he acts. You don't know him. But he just told me things like, I will never forget. He said, you thought you had a model son, but he was not the model son you thought you had. He was involved in many illegal activities. But then I'm thinking, my God, what do they have? Do they have him uh, in a video somewhere? Because we don't have any reports from the police, you know. So I was so scared. And then they have his clothes. What if they put something in his jeans and say we found it? So after I talked to him for like 80 some minutes and got myself all upset, 
even before I talked to him, Monica had warned me that he's going to be crazy. I did not expect this extreme, you know, and then I called our lawyer, Stegmeier, he's from there too. And he's like, why in the world you called him? Don't ever do this. You know, he is a crazy man. Don't do this. And I, I was like, he, he shut me down for a quiet two weeks, this Michael Carr, you know, he got into my head and he put a picture of my son in my head that he was something so bad, like a, like a monster. And I, I was so down. And then I thought, huh, no. So I made a huge post on Facebook. I'm like, nobody's going to run me down. You know, he cannot shut me up. So then I wrote a letter to the human relation committee there about him degrading me, telling me all these things. He told me that I should be educated, you know. So they read that letter aloud in the meeting. It was, um, I think, video played or something there. He got even mad. she was getting nowhere with the state's attorney, Lovely wrote the Human Relations Committee. Her two-page letter outlined many of the inconsistencies in the investigation, or lack thereof, and the challenges her family was dealing with. I will read one excerpt from the letter that pertained to her interactions with Michael Carr. I called state attorney Mr. Michael Carr last week. Since we did not have any kind of information on what was happening with our son's case, other than the information that Mr. Carr is reviewing. He called me back and we had a conversation for over an hour and a half. From the whole conversation, I don't have a feeling that his decision will be fair. He told me that the police chief announced no foul play, and now the case is handed over to him and he has to look into everything. I felt like he was trying to protect the driver, the state trooper, the college, and the police department, and make it sound like it was entirely my son's fault. He told me he has compelling evidence that my son was drinking that night, and asked me how I would feel if I was told that Praveen was dealing drugs, and said he has text messages as proof. He warned me that he would make the report public, and it won't look pretty. No parent wants to hear what he said but I will not let him or his statements discourage me. It only pushes me to fight harder. I requested him not to make any decisions based on text messages that my son sent. I know my son, and he is very sarcastic, and always jokes around, and he would send me plenty of sarcastic texts. Mr. Carr did not seem to care, nor was he very empathetic about our situation. Even though the driver of the car had two different stories, it did not matter to him. Dr. Kupfer told me that a piece of Praveen's shirt was found on the barbed wire. The pathologist that did the second autopsy here wanted to see that t-shirt from the beginning. When I mentioned that to Mr. Carr, he said that it is not a relevant factor in this. But I consider that t-shirt as an important piece in this investigation. I am still hoping for a fair decision. It is very hard for our family to hear things which are not true about our son. The whole conversation was very upsetting to me. 
all we were asking for is a fair investigation into this whole incident, rather than trying to harass the victim's character just because he is not here to defend himself. Why were all these assumptions made before any of the facts were known? I am a nurse. I treat people humanely and with respect and compassion. I expect the same from the elected officials who have taken the oath to serve and protect. Losing a child is unimaginable, and living with a feeling not knowing what really happened is beyond words can express. We raised Praveen for 19 years, and we know how he acts, talks, and behaves. It is very hard to understand that the people who have seen only his lifeless body or a picture of him are doing everything in their official power to make Praveen an alcoholic, a drug addict, and a drug dealer. We will not sit quiet and take that. We will be his voice. We need to protect our son's name and we will do everything in our power to do that and to help others that are being treated just like us and our Praveen. We are holding on to our faith through all this and we are confident that our God will help us find answers. If this is an ongoing problem in that community, that needs to be looked into and corrected. No other family should go through what we are going through and should not be treated the way we are. We live in a country that the whole world looks up to as a role model. If we can't serve justice to one of our own, it is very sad and unacceptable. Justice for one is justice for all. Pray the truth prevails. Since Michael Carr was not receptive, Lovely thought that possibly meeting him in person would be a better approach. If she could sit down with him face to face and they could simply talk, maybe then he would have some compassion and do the right thing. Then I went to meet him. NBC from here had gone down there for three days to do an interview and all that. So I wanted to go there because Monica never went to the location where Praveen was found. It was only me. So everybody was like, oh, it's there, it's there. People were like, oh, you can just walk through. But I wanted to show NBC that you cannot really walk through. This is really terrain. So I went there to show them, and they were like, oh, my God, this is crazy. you know. But I, I didn't know where the location was. I was able to show them a little bit, but I couldn't, I couldn't figure out where we were. So then after, the, after their interview and everything, I thought maybe I'll just go see Michael Carr in person. You know, if he see me, he knows that I'm not uh, dangerous, you know. And Monica is like, I think, I think you, sh you should be careful. But then the NBC producer, she's like, oh, go, go lovely, go and see what he says. And I went, you know, I, my brother-in-law was with me. I went to his office and I said, uh, you know, I'm Mrs. Varghis and I want to see Mr. Carr. And he came out. He took me into his office. He was so mad. The first thing he said was, I don't appreciate you talking all these things about me. And I'm like, you know, I did not say anything that you did not tell me. Yeah, you know, I, I said, I'm here to find out what happened to my son. And I did not think I had a good answer from you. 
That's why. And he just went on and on. You know, he said, I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful family that support me through all this. I have two law degrees. And I don't know what that man was talking. He just was like something. And I had this file of signatures that we collected that said justice for Praveen. And he said, what is this? I don't need this. I said, okay, if you don't need it, I will take it with me. He's like, oh, you brought it, leave it here. You might as well leave it here. But then I asked him, uh, how long are you going to take? He's like, I don't know. I have eight other attorneys working with me. So when we make a decision, I will let you know. You know, so, uh, and I said, it took a, a long fight for us even to get a death certificate. You know, I had to go every time I call the coroner, he's like, I have to wait for the state's attorney. When I call the state's attorney's office, they're like, oh, they can release. So between the back and forth, back and forth, all these things. So I said, I just want you to release the report so we can see the report. And I left. And after that, me and him never got along. He had this, I think he had this feeling like a woman is questioning me. You know, he wanted to shut me up. And plus Monica is there, like she was on his face every single Friday on her show. You know, she was going wild and he just was so mad. Michael Carr wouldn't give Lovely any of the reports pertaining to Praveen's death. And rather than help solve this case, he made it into a personal issue between himself and Praveen's family, with no intention of solving the murder. Monica spoke to the family lawyer, Charles Stegmeyer, on her radio show. He had a lot to say about Michael Carr and the autopsy results as well. I've become very close with Praveen's mother, Lovely, and from the very beginning, they did not like the way they were being treated by the officials in Carbondale. Whenever they first asked to see their son's body, they were told, no, you don't need to see him. He'll be sent to the funeral home up north. She said she had to literally scream and throw a fit to see the body of her son. Whenever her son's body got to Chicago, the funeral home director, immediately after he saw Praveen and the condition he was in, came to Lovely and her husband and said, you're a nurse, you need to look at your son now. She took one look at her son, and they decided on the spot they were going to do a second autopsy. They were not comfortable with what was going on down here or the way they were being treated down here. So they said, we are hiring somebody now to do a second autopsy. Everybody has been speculating about toxicology. Everybody has been speculating about the second autopsy. Toxicology reports came back. We know he had zero drugs in his system. He was not doing drugs, period, end of story. Nobody's going to argue with that. There was a discrepancy concerning alcohol. His friends admittedly said he had a few drinks that night earlier in the evening. Okay, yeah, he's a college kid. He had a few drinks. That's fine. We're over it. Uh, there was supposedly 0.049 uh, alcohol found in his urine. The second autopsy, you know, said some different things, whatever. We're not here to fight alcohol. We know he had a few alcoholic drinks. Had he not had this bruising and 
damage to his body, we would all might have bought it and went home and went to bed. Thank God Lovely did a second autopsy and their family had the wherewithal to do so because here with me today, the family attorney, Charles Stegmeyer, has with him the 22-page uh, forensic pathology, medical pathology report from a Harvard-educated medical pathologist and its findings. And I can tell you that Mr. Stegmeyer has been around the block a few times. He's been in practice, I do believe, 40-some-odd years. He's been the assistant state's attorney in several counties. He knows how this stuff works, and he is not happy with what he found. First of all, Mr. Stegmeyer, welcome, and thank you so much for taking your time to drive here and for letting me be the one person that you speak with first concerning this matter. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> I want to thank... Uh the family for um, giving me the honor of proceeding with this investigation. I want to thank the many, many thousands of people, well over 50-some thousand people who signed petitions looking for the truth for, for the country of India, where we believe this may be broadcast for their very interest in this, and for our host, who I consider to be the voice of truth in this area, for what she has done to bring to the community what she considers to be a real issue in this, um, in this community. She is correct in that I do have in my hands a supplemental autopsy report from the director uh, of Autopsy Center in Chicago, a forensic pathologist, a graduate of Harvard School, and well knowledgeable in the... Uh, causes and effects of uh, traumatic injuries to individuals. Uh, this report, with the permission of the family, will be released to Mr. Mike Carr, who is the state's attorney of, of Jackson County and the uh, legal officer of the county. And what he does with that report, of course, is, is up to him. Mr. Stigmar, I, I have a few preliminary questions before we even start speaking about what's in this report. Whenever I spoke with Lovely, and she had a conversation with Mr. Carr just a few days before this report came out, from the beginning, way before you have got this signed, sealed, and delivered pathology report from this Harvard-educated pathologist, what struck you? about this case. I know at the memorial you said, look, I have a grandson. I'm familiar with college life. What was it? Why did you take this case and why did it rub you the wrong way before you had this report in your hand? I think what's of, of, of extreme importance uh, in our country today is as we pick up the newspaper almost routinely and there's some sort of a event, criminal event occurring on the college campuses. And of course, when, when we, as parents, uh, send our children to college and they leave our homes, we expect and believe that uh, they're going there for an education and that they themselves will be protected uh, as much as possible from any type of uh, violent uh, conduct by anyone else. And of course... Unfortunately, what struck me about this particular case is the fact that a 19-year-old, fully developed young man on his way to a wonderful career, attending a college, on his way to his life's ambitions, whose life was snuffed out 
without, I'm saying without, a thorough investigation of his death. As a, a, a chief assistant state's attorney in St. Clair County, where we have, unfortunately, a significant number of, of uh, major criminal events, we believe, and I believe, that without cooperation from the police officials, we as prosecutors could not do our job. And I see the lack of follow-up by this state trooper is obviously, in my opinion, a gross negligence in the job. I mean, let's let's let let's be realistic. Let's let's. And we all watch television programs, and we've all watched all the different CI, all the different uh, programs that are on television concerning criminals. And you always see an investigation by the police officers of an event, of a crime scene. And we don't have a crime scene here. And we don't have, in my consider, much of an investigation because the state trooper simply, according to video, which we've all seen, after interviewing this individual who admitted that he had, quote, an altercation. Ladies and gentlemen, an altercation to me is a fight that um, he flashed his flashlight a few times in the woods and simply left. We can speculate a lot of things, we can assume a lot of things, but the body of the deceased does not lie. Some of the things that Mr. Carr had said to Lovely, such as, I have compelling evidence to believe that your son was doing a drug deal, or he might have been dealing drugs, or he had his phone in his hand, he could have used it if he wanted to, things of this nature. I want to talk about text messages, but first, I want to ask you, Mr. Stegmeyer, what is the role of a state's attorney from county to county. What is their job? What what should he or should he not be doing on behalf of or for or against the Verghese family in this situation? Well, I believe, as I previously mentioned, that he is the chief legal officer of the county. Therefore, he has uh, the sole responsibility to uh, proceed to prosecute individuals who, in his opinion and his office uh, personnel's opinion, have committed a crime. I follow uh, the the southern.com. There has been an article recently that said, uh, Mike Carr says that city police department leadership needs evaluation. We've seen on Channel 3 and now in the Southern Illinoisan, Mike Carr has said, look, there's something going on in Carbondale. The people don't trust the police. The police need to make better connections with the people. And I found it extremely interesting. There were two comments under this article. One of them, and you can go to the southern.com and look for that article and you can see this. I can tell you, whenever I clicked on this comment, it did go to the Facebook page of this person. I'm not going to say their name. I can tell you that they are what I believe to be a retired lieutenant with the state police. Here's his comment on this article. And this struck me, Mr. Stegmeyer. I'd like your opinion on it. This retired lieutenant state police officer commented on the article that Mr. Carr said that there's a disconnect in Carbondale. Here was this lieutenant's response. People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Mr. Carr, the same comments you are making about the Carbondale Police Department could just as easily be said about your office. When you make the deals you do with criminals so that you don't have to try a case and they get less jail time or none at all, is enough reason for you to just maybe study what's going on in your office before you decide to take aim at the CPD, especially on a platform where they don't have the opportunity to challenge your comments. The general public will always have good and bad things to say about agencies that serve 
serve the public. It is their given right. But when those entrusted to serve the public take aim at others, one wonders what they are covering up. Do you really believe that the victims you are supposed to represent want to see their attackers come out of a situation, situation better than they? To not be punished to the full letter of the law. Talk about a disconnect. Wow. End quote. Woo, that was kind of scathing. Well, it was from the extent that you have a very educated individual who has experienced, obviously, some issues with the state's attorney's office through any investigation that he may have. And again, from my experience, with this much emphasis on what happened, if Mr. Carr does not want to proceed, he can contact the attorney general's office. They can appoint a special prosecutor. He can step aside, recluse himself. The special prosecutor can then take up the, the trail here and proceed to, 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 to do what I think is necessary, and that's obviously talk to the prime witness, the driver of the vehicle, and his friends under oath, you know, uh, with, uh, with the understanding that their testimony could be used in any sort of a trial. The one major item missing, uh, at, at, at least up till now, was the amended or second autopsy that was performed by, in my opinion, the lead forensic pathologist of the city of Chicago. Now, I have in front of me the signed copy of that report, and I will point out certain things in that report. I'll begin with what the pathologist says is a brief summary. Quote, the decedent, Travine, experienced significant blunt force trauma to the head with at least three separate injuries. There was a defensive injury to the right arm, and he goes on and he says the underlying cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. My God. My God. Yes. Lovely Verghese received a call from our pathologist down here, or the coroner, and he told her there was no signs of trauma to her son. Well, obviously. No signs of injury to her son. The, um, the report goes on to say that, quote, there is a bruise in the middle of the forehead. It showed muscle damage. There's a patterned abrasion of the right forehead. There's blood in the nose and abrasion in the bridge of the nose. There are scattered bruises and abrasions elsewhere. There is no evidence of frostbite. None. None. The report goes on to say, and this is important, quote, there was at least three blunt force injuries to the face. Two, each injury suggests different impact biomechanics at the site of the injury, i.e., Direct or glazing impact, central or lateral impact site, abraded or internal trauma. The formation of all facial injuries is not compatible with a single impact event, i.e., one time fall onto a rock, a one time head on collision with a tree during ambulation. Again, different impacts to the site of the injury. Three blunt force injuries to the face. 
That doesn't occur by frostbite. And that sure doesn't occur by this notion that he just tripped and bumped it on a branch in the woods. The central forehead bruise is compatible with a direct punch. He uses the word punch. Punch. The bloody nose is compatible with blunt force trauma to the nose. My God. The right arm injury is compatible with a defensive wound, meaning Prevain was defending himself against a brutal attack with someone who had, in my opinion, an object that could cause a blunt force injury to him, i.e. a shovel, a baseball club, a, a baseball bat, whatever. So what we have here is another point that is made here. The size of the right arm injury fits for a mark produced by a fist, although direct other mechanisms cannot be ruled out. So this is a 22-page report. The summary, quite fr frankly, is as suggested by our man, that uh, his conclusion was uh, this was caused by drunk, direct blunt force trauma to the head. My God in heaven. And I will say as I sit here with, with you folks that I had the same uh, feelings when I got this report. And had I got it from someone other than such a renowned, respected member of the Chicago Pathology Division, I, 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 I wouldn't have thought as much In addition to the lack of any investigation, Michael Carr kept insisting the issue was that Praveen was not dressed for the weather that night. Michael Carr made a big story about him being wearing short, you know, like um, a t-shirt. Everyone went in like that. Even Ashley had shorts, you know, and they were going to a party. So the girl said, when we go to a party, we never take a jacket because you don't know who is going to be there, who is going to steal it. So, you know, Praveen is from Chicago. He's used to the cold. And even when we go to our friend's house here, just that weekend, the, the weekend that he came here, he showed up at our friend's house in shorts and slippers, you know? And I said, Praveen, what if something happens? What if your car breaks down on the street? You know, like it's so much snow there and you're wearing slippers? You know, that's how these boys walk around. So it was pretty normal for him. So there was no way for uh, Praveen to ask for a ride to walk four blocks. That was a story Gage made up. See, the, the thing was, every, that was placed in everyone's head from the beginning. So it came up like, oh, Praveen asked for a ride. The first anniversary of Praveen we were going to have a joint press conference there with Molly Young's family. We did not invite Michael Carr. We invited the whole press. NBC came from here. The day before the press conference, he releases this press release saying, I understand it's Praveen Varghese's uh, memorial tomorrow and the family will be here for a press conference. 
um, I I want to say that I will be out of the office. I will not be able to answer it. I mean, who asked him? You know, we did we did not call him or anything. He did this press release. So we did the press conference, and that day, and we Molly's dad and me and Monica and our lawyer, we just went on it. It was a good exposure that day. And two weeks after that, he releases this report to the media. He did not call our lawyer or anything. And in that report, if you see that, it's a 10-page report. 16 times he said Praveen was drunk, highly intoxicated. Every single action Gage Bethune did was justified in that. So if you read that, it will look like Gage's lawyer wrote that. If there was one sentence in there that said Praveen's toxicology was negative, I would have been satisfied. Not a single word in that. Rather than solve the murder, Michael Carr was asserting that no murder even took place, and therefore he could not prosecute anyone. At the end of his 10-page report, he stated the following, This was a tragic end to a young man's life, but neither the facts nor circumstances which have been presented to me support bringing a criminal prosecution against anyone. Next week, we will find out where Lovely and Monica turned to next, when everything looked so bleak. If you're interested in this story and you want to know more about the case, you can check out our social media pages. We will be sharing videos of the police interviews, photos, and documents from the case. We are at Speaking of Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. Please help us share Praveen's story. <laughs>